following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 27 to 54, to the end of the chapter. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you do not labor, did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're continuing in John's gospel, and we've come now to the second half of John chapter 4. 
Now, the first half of John 4 is a well-known passage, and we considered that last week. This conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well. And you'll remember that John tells us Jesus departed from Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. Or he departed from Judea. He had to go through Samaria to Galilee. And the way that John articulates that, it carries the force of a divine appointment. He had to go through Samaria because the Father was sending him to this woman. And he was sending him to these Samaritans. The Father had sent him. And the disciples, when they return and they see him talking to the woman, they marvel at this. But John tells us nobody dared ask him, what are you seeking? Or why are you talking to this woman? Now John plants that question in our minds. And we know what he's seeking. We know why he was talking to her. Because he's just said to her, the Father is seeking true worshipers. He's seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Father had sent him to this woman. He was seeking after her. And you'll remember in the conversation, Jesus reveals to her that he knows her. And he knows everything about her. He knows her sin. He knows her shame. But he reveals this to her, not that he might condemn her. And remember what John has told us in John 3, that the Son came not to condemn, but to save. And here we see Jesus with this Samaritan woman, yes, a sinner. But he came not to condemn her, but to save her. And he offers her living water, and she received it. And there's a wonderful detail. John mentions that she left her water jugs, and she returned to the town. She left her water jugs. She'd gone there for water, but the water she received was, was the living water. The water which wells up in us to eternal life. And indeed, it is welling up in this woman because she goes back. And it's not only that she left those water jars, but somebody said this to me uh, this week. They mentioned the fact that she also left her shame there. Because now she goes and she declares to those who had despised her. And she says, come and see. Come and see this man. Could he be the Christ? Now, last week, we considered the importance of worship in that first part of the chapter. And that is, that is where the conversation goes, to the question of worship. And Jesus says, I've come to redeem you, to save you, that you might be a true worshiper who worships the Father in spirit and in truth. But the focus of this second half of the chapter is faith. It's belief. And notice, as we read through that, how often John tells us about the belief of those whom Jesus meets and speaks to. And Jesus talks to them about faith, about believing. Now, John tells us at the end of his gospel that this is the very reason for the gospel itself. This is why he's written this book. I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in him have eternal life. That's why he's written this book. So that those who hear it, those who read it, would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in him have eternal life. And as we consider this second half of chapter 4 together, I want us to consider what it teaches us and what it reveals to us about faith, about belief. And there's two things I want us to see here. First of all, the perspective of faith or the eyes of faith. We need to see the world with the eyes of faith, with the perspective of faith. 
And that's what Jesus says to his disciples. They're concerned about food. Here, Rabbi, have something to eat. We've brought back food for you. And he says, I've got other food. I want you to think about that food. My food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish his work, the one who sent me. And so he says to them, lift up your eyes and see. With the eyes of faith, we need to see what our Lord would have us see. So the perspective of faith, that's the first thing. And then the second thing I want us to consider is the way in which Jesus engages the Samaritans and how he responds to them, and then how that is different with the way he engages the official from Capernaum. But in both cases... He is drawing out their faith. He is leading them in faith. He's exercising their faith. He's teaching them faith. And remember what Hebrews chapter 12 says, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And that's what we see him doing with the Samaritans and with the official from Capernaum. He is the author and perfecter of their faith. And we need to see how he perfects our faith. And we see an example of it in the Samaritans and in the official from Capernaum. But first of all, let's consider the perspective of faith. Seeing the world through the eyes of faith. Now, we know that Jesus was weary from the journey. And he was thirsty. He asked the woman at the well for a drink. And the disciples had gone into this Samaritan town for food. And they came back with food. And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, eat. Now, they're concerned about a very practical and physical issue. It's the immediate concern of of the moment. We need to eat. Rabbi, you need to eat. But that's not, Jesus is not concerned about that. And he turns their attention away from that immediate physical, practical concern. He says, I've got other food that you don't know about. Now, you don't know about it, but you need to know about it. And he says, my food is to do the will of of my Father, to do the will of the one who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Now, throughout the gospel, Jesus speaks of the will of the one who sent me, the will of his Father, the work of his Father. I've come to do the will of my Father. I've come to do the work of my Father. The works I do are the works that he gave me to do. The words that I speak are the words that he has given me to speak. And as we read on and we come to John chapter 6, John, uh, Jesus tells us specifically This is the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of my Father. That I shouldn't lose any of those that he has given to me. I shouldn't lose any of them. But raise them up on the last day. This is the will of my Father. That I would receive those that he has given to me. That I would not lose any one of them. And that I will raise them up on the last day. Now how how is it that people come to him? How is it people that come to the Son? How do they come to him? Well, it's through faith. It's by believing in him. And John has already told us that God so loved the world. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, this is the will of my father. This is the work that he has sent me to accomplish, to finish. And then he says to his disciples, look, you've just gone into this town of Samaria to to gather food. Now let's think about that. Let's think about agriculture. Let's think about food. Let's think about sowing and reaping in the harvest. Yes, you've gone to get food and you've brought back food for me. But you need to see things a different way. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see. What I want you to see is not so much the issue of my hunger. 
or the need for something to eat, not the food that you went there to get. Lift up your eyes, because I want you to see the people that were there, the people from whom you just bought that food, the people that you saw in Samaria. I want you to see them, because my Father is drawing them to me, that I might give them living water, that I might give them eternal life. And he says, quite literally at that moment, lift up your eyes and see, because here they come. There they are. They're coming, they're coming towards me. My Father is sending them to me. And I will receive them. And they, I will give them eternal life. And I will gather the fruit for eternal life. And he's saying to them, I've called you to labor with me in this. To participate in this. Do you see this? The will of the one who sent me. The work of the one who sent me. Have the eyes to see it. Now, if we just picture the image that Jesus gives us, you know, the fields are, are white. They're ripe for the harvest. And if you can just picture in the late summer, you know, a wheat field there. And as you imagine that in your mind's eye, that's, that's a fairly kind of monochromatic scene. You know, this golden white field. Now, Jesus gives, that, gives us that image uh, in order to say that, look, th- there, there are many out there. There are many out there that the Father is calling to me. And in fact, that's what we, what we read. Many Samaritans and then many more Samaritans. But we shouldn't therefore conclude that there is somehow this generic mass of lost people. You know, they're unbelievers. And we just simply have the gospel and we just, we just minister to the gospel to unbelievers. Because we also hear that image alongside what we've been watching Jesus doing. And he's concerned for individuals. He's concerned for people. Remember that Andrew and the other disciple of John the Baptist went with Jesus. And the three of them spent that evening together. Remember that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And Jesus had that long time with Nicodemus. Jesus has just spent time with this Samaritan woman. Jesus is always concerned with individuals, with people. I love what we read in Mark chapter 10 the rich young ruler. And before Jesus gives him that hard word, this one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. You know, the one thing that he lacked was him. You lack me. But John, uh, Mark tells us that looking at him, he loved him and he said this. This wasn't just some rich young ruler, some lawyer that had come up to Jesus. He knew him. He looked. He loved. And then he spoke. There's another moment in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5, where Jesus is, has responded to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. His daughter is sick. She's dying. And he's going with the crowds of people to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. But along the way, you'll remember the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years reaches out and grabs hold of the hem of his garment. And she's healed. And Jesus knows that power has gone out from him. So he stops, and the whole crowd that's going to see this miracle, they all stop. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, ah, we don't know who touched you. There's so many people here. They're pressing in. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And Jesus says, no. And he stops, and, he, and, and Mark tells us he looked around. He looked for her. And then remember what he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. It's a conversation about faith. And our Lord is concerned about our faith. He's concerned about each one of us. And we're living in a time now where just as the disciples were concerned about the need for food, you know, rabbi, eat, 
So there are many things, especially right now at this moment, that are calling for our attention. And so we, we are thinking about, we've just prayed about some of these things. Okay, what about schooling at home? What about this? What about that? You know, we're always looking at our screens. What's the latest news? What's happening in the U.S.? What's happening with the pandemic? What's happening with this, with that? What's happening among the churches? Who's saying this? Who's saying that? And our Lord is saying to us this afternoon, look up and see. Yes, all that's going on. Not calling you to be oblivious to all that, but look up and see. And the question he has for you is, who is it that he's put in your life? Who's that person, that individual, the person that the Father is calling to the Son to believe in him and receive eternal life? So look up and see. Ask God's Spirit to give you the eyes to to recognize that person, be praying for that person, know that person, love that person, and go to that person and say, come and see this Jesus, the Savior of the world. So that's the perspective of faith. But then we see here Jesus as the author and the perfecter of faith. And here it's helpful that we read these two accounts side by side of the Samaritans and then of the official from Capernaum. Because we see here two very different ways that Jesus engages the Samaritans on the one hand and this official from Capernaum on the other hand. So the Samaritans, first of all, they they hear the news from the woman. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And John tells us that they believed because of her testimony. And they came out to see him. She said, come and see, and they came out. But they came out with a request. They came out with a prayer. Come and stay with us. And Jesus answered the prayer, yes, I will. I will come and stay with you. And he stayed with them two days. And we can imagine that time that Jesus spent with the Samaritans, you know, eating together and going for walks and staying up late. And the whole time, he's ministering to them and he's teaching them. And by the end of that time, they can say, oh, now we believe, not because of what you said. But we believe because we've heard him for ourselves. And then they say, and we know that he is the savior of the world. We know that he truly is the savior of the world. And our Lord knew that they needed time with him. And he knew that they needed, they needed teaching. They needed to come to a knowledge of who he was. And he taught them. And our Lord teaches us. He teaches our faith so that we come to, so we come to know him. And so we see that with the Samaritans. The way that Jesus taught them and, and uh, wanted them to, to learn to come and trust him and know who he was. But then when Jesus goes to Galilee, there's a very different response that he gives to the official from Capernaum. Now, many of us in this room are parents. And so it's not hard for us to imagine what this man was going through. He's desperate. His son is dying. And he's heard that Jesus has come back from Judea. And he goes to him and he pleads with him, come down, my son is at the point of death. Come down and see him. Come down and heal him. But then John tells us, so Jesus said to him. This is Jesus' response to that desperate request for him to come. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now this sounds, this sounds distant. It sounds harsh. He rebuffs the man. Here he is desperately pleading with Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders... 
you will not believe. Well, why does Jesus respond that way? When the Samaritans came, he went with them, spent lots of time with them, taught them. When this man comes pleading for the life of his son, Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, it's important for us to recognize, and I think most of our Bibles, if you have the ASV, I think there's a little footnote there beside you. And if you look down, that's just to let us know that you there is plural. So Jesus says to him, to the man, unless you, unless you all who are here see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's speaking to the, the, the crowd. He's speaking to the people who are there. And he's saying to them, I know why this man is here. I know why he's come. What are you all doing here? Why have you come? Are you coming to see signs and wonders? I'm about to uh, do a work in this man's life where I'm going to bring him to true faith, deep faith in me. Well, what are you all doing here? Have you just come to see signs and wonders? To see the spectacle? And our Lord here is having us examine the basis of our faith, the reason for our faith. Do you just want to see signs and wonders? Well, in John's Gospel, signs signify something. Remember the first sign that Jesus performed, and it was in the same place in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. And John tells us this was the first sign that revealed his glory. Signs reveal, the, reveal his glory. They reveal who he is. So that our faith is not in the signs and wonders, it's in him. The signs point us to him. But he's saying to the crowd, are you just here to see signs and wonders? You know, there's some excitement here and you want to get in on it and see it. And, and if it was today, I'm sure everybody would be on their iPhone and recording this and posting it on Twitter and seeing how many retweets they get. And okay, is that what this is about for you? And it's a reminder to us, examine your, the, the basis of your allegiance and your faith in Christ. Why do you believe in him? What's the reason for it? Is it because you think, well, he, he blesses me. He does good things for me. And so I, I'm a Christian because, you know, God does good things for Christians. He'll do good things for me. Or it may be that given, you know, the, cultural, uh, the current cultural climate and political climate that we're in, there are some people who will be attracted to Christianity because they think, well, I like how the Christians think. You know, I like their perspective on politics and economics and, and uh, the culture wars. And, I, and uh, there's something about Christianity. And our Lord will, will always test our faith and say to us, why is it that you believe? Is it the signs and wonders? Is that why? Because that's not saving faith. Faith in the signs and the wonders. But he's saying this to the man. And he's saying this to him because he's saying to him, I know you. I know, I know the cry of your heart. I know your concern for your son. And I'm not here just to do signs and wonders to get people all excited and to put on a spectacle and to have a big crowd. I, I, know, I know the cry of your heart. I hear it. I know your needs. I know that your son is dying. And I'm not, I'm not just here to do signs and wonders. I'm here for you. And so he's saying to that man, it's not about signs and wonders. I'm here for you. And the man asks again then, Sir, please come down before my son dies. He persists in his plea. He's desperate. And then Jesus gives an answer to that prayer. Go. Now his prayer was, come down, come, come to heal my son. And Jesus says, leave. 
go. Now, that's not what he asked. That wasn't the prayer. That's not what he was looking for. He wanted the Lord to come. Now, that sounds like exactly the right prayer. Of course, that's the right prayer. Come down, Lord. And we've just read when the Samaritans asked the Lord to come, he went. He went with them. He spent two days with them. Here, he says to the official, no, go, leave. That's not all he says. He also says, your son will live. Now, he knows the faith of this man, and he is testing the faith of this man, and he is exercising the faith of this man. He doesn't answer the request. God doesn't always answer our prayers just as we've asked him. Because he knows our needs. We don't always know our needs. We don't always know what we ought to pray for. He does. He knows our needs. And there are times when we will say, come, come down, and he will say, leave, go. But the reason he will give us that answer is because he is testing and exercising our faith. And our faith needs to be exercised. Because what happens when we exercise? You know, physically, we get stronger. We're more fit. And the Lord will exercise our faith, that our faith grow stronger. And we become more fit. So in this case, he says to the man, leave. And we can imagine the man walking back. And it wasn't as if he could just text or, send, or, or phone and say, how's my son? And find out. He didn't know. And so he had that long walk back to Capernaum, trusting what the Lord had said. And the whole while, he, the, the Lord is, is testing his faith, exercising his faith. Our Lord does something similar. You'll remember if you read later in the gospel with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In John chapter 11, the word comes to Jesus, Lazarus is sick, he's dying. And John tells us, because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he delayed. That's very interesting. Because he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he didn't go. He waited, and Lazarus died. And when he finally came, Martha went out to him and said, Lord, if you had have been here, you could have healed him. Where were you? Why did you wait? And Jesus says, he will be raised up on the last day. And and Martha says, I know, I've got good theology. I know about the resurrection on the last day. But then he looks at her and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he die, yet he shall live. And then he says to her, do you believe this? Do you believe me? Because he loved Martha, he waited two days. Why? Because he was exercising her faith, testing her faith. Do you really believe that I am the resurrection and the life? He does the same for this man. And then when he, at the end of the account, John tells us simply, not that the man believed the word, he just says the man believed himself. He now believes in the son and his whole household. And so the Lord will exercise our faith and he will test our faith because he, is, he, he wants to draw us all the more closely to himself, that we come to a deeper knowledge and faith in him. There's a wonderful moment in the, in the book uh, Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis, part of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's right in the middle of the book. And there's a moment where all of the faithful Narnians are camped outside, and they're not sure how things are going to turn out, and they're worried about their enemies. And Lucy is woken up in the night, and she walks through the forest, and she's woken up because she hears somebody calling her voice, or calling her name. She hears this voice. And so she's walking through the forest at night, 
following this voice, calling her. And then she comes to a clearing and she sees Aslan there. And she runs up to him and she buries her face in his mane and she's rejoicing that Aslan has finally come. And this has been a big question. Where's Aslan? Here he is. And then she looks at him and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, no, it is not I who is bigger. It is you who are older. And then he said, and she says, you're not bigger? And he said, no. But as you get older, you will see me bigger. And that's a wonderful picture, a wonderful description of the way in which Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, exercises and tests and strengthens our faith so that as we grow in faith and as we are strengthened in faith, we see him bigger. And this man from Capernaum saw Jesus bigger. And then he shared that faith with those in his household and his whole household believes. And as we grow in faith and as we see him bigger, we can't help but share that faith with others. The Samaritan woman went and told everybody. Many more, as they came and heard him, believed. And so for this official from Capernaum, he went back. His whole household came to believe. And it's a reminder for us that our Lord will test our faith. He will exercise our faith so that he becomes bigger for us. And as he becomes bigger, we become all the more... uh, we take all the more delight and we are given all the more confidence and boldness and joy to share the gospel with others and to say to others, just as the Samaritan woman said, come and see, come and see Jesus, come and see the Christ, come and see the one who is the savior of the world. And so let's remember today and let's have eyes to see those that the Lord has put in our life. He says to us, lift up your eyes and see, trust me, I am the author and perfecter of your faith. Now go, because I am calling, the Father is calling believers to me that I might give them eternal life. And I'm calling you to come and enter into my labor. And as I send you out with the the good news and to call people to come and see Jesus, and as people come, you will be gathering in the fruit of eternal life. And the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. And now, as we come to the Lord's table, this meal is a reminder of our Lord's presence with us. You'll remember that the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they were walking to Emmaus, and Jesus was talking to them and opening up the scriptures to them, when they sat down at table with him, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And Luke tells us that their eyes were open and they recognized him. And they went back to the disciples and they said, It's true what Peter has said. The Lord is risen. And then they told them what had happened on the road and how they recognized him in the breaking of bread. And our Lord commands us to eat this bread, to drink from this cup in remembrance of him, in remembrance that he's with us, in remembrance of his presence. Because he has said, behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. And so we have the privilege every Sunday of coming to this table and receiving this bread in this cup. But, We recognize his presence with us in this meal, which means this is holy ground. And so we don't come to this table in presumption. We come to this table in humility. We come in submission. We come as those who will submit our will to his. If he he says go, we go. And we come in repentance with humble hearts, acknowledging our sins before him. 
So let's come now to the Lord's table. Let's come in repentance and in faith. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.